Welcome to Detroit Strange. This podcast. That you're listening to with your ear holes. We're glad you're here. Yeah. With those ear holes. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, so real quick before we get into anything and I forget yet again. I forgot to list my sources last week. Ruh-roh. Because I got so excited about conversation with you. I, that happens from time to time. Yeah. So really quick, last week in reference to the chameleon episode. Yes. My sources were, of course, a little Wikipedia, but not too much, actually. And then also a free press story called Detroit Notorious Imposter Gets Three Years in Prison by Tressa Bada from February of 2016. A mental floss article called True Crime, Doug Street, Human Chameleon by Kara Kovalshig. I tried. Sure. On August of 2008. An article called Man Called a Great Imposter is charged with identity theft from the San Diego Union Tribune by the Associated Press. No specific person named June 2015 New Yorker article called The Chameleon Street, an overlooked masterpiece that it's also a cautionary tale about Hollywood by Richard Brody, September of 21, and also a handful of YouTube videos interviewing. We love a YouTube video. Yeah. Imagine the show without Wikipedia or mental flaws. I can't. Yeah. I don't want to. Um, Couldn't possibly. Yeah. I support both those things fully. I try, and I do try to throw like a couple bucks at Wikipedia here uh, and there because. Yeah. I get like $3 every month, if nothing. Like, oh, fantastic. Because I love, I mean, I, the Wikipedia is one of my most used websites or apps. Yeah. And like this way too, it kind of like, because every once in a while they'll throw up like the, if everyone reading this now gave just $1. Yeah. Which like, I don't love seeing those. And I get why they do it because yeah. it guilts people into paying, but I don't like, I don't need extra guilt. So I'm just like, here's $3 every month. Just like, yeah, you take no, the $3 that's a good way to go. I believe in you. Don't make me feel guilty about it. <laughs> I kind of need the reminder because I don't have a yeah. subscription, you know, to, or yeah. whatever you want to call it to it. So maybe the, the verbiage could be a little less, but. I get Guilt why trippy, they do but it, but I understand though. it too. Yeah, yeah. I don't because like I like that they don't have ads and they're like, yeah, like I really support the mission. I support the cause. Yeah, exactly. We stand Wikipedia. Definitely. Yeah. So it's been it's the first week of the year is always very strange. I feel like yeah, it's got this like weird energy. It's not like bad or anything, but it's like very weird and like I'm trying to figure out how New Year, New Year they're gonna be. Yeah. And everybody's just tired. Yep. And cold. Yep. In Michigan, at least. Yeah, it got real cold here for the start of the year, I feel like. Oh, yeah. It's been, like, frigid the past few days. I'm not a fan. Yeah, not loving it, but, you know, i not hating it either. Because I really don't have to leave my house too much. Mm -hmm. And so, That's like, nice. it's nice to just be cozy inside when it's all cold and crappy outside. I have been running late to anywhere I have to go. Fair. Not good. She got to like bundle and warm up your car and all that. And, and like, also, I just don't want to go outside. The motivation thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's okay. Yeah. But it does also create the coziness inside to do things like watch movies and things like that. So, absolutely. We both love. Yeah. I have been like watching. I've also been reading a lot more. I started reading. That's great. Yeah. I've been trying to, but I've only read one chapter. Fair. <laughs> I like decided to pick the Harry Potter series back up just because like mm -hmm. I just wanted to like jumpstart my reading muscle again because mm -hmm. like I really can fly through those books and just kind of remind myself like, oh, yeah, I can finish a book pretty quickly if I just sit down and fucking read. That's a good idea. I took the opposite approach uh -huh. and I opened up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, I have the book. I haven't read it either. Or no, I have like. Who wrote The Artist's Way? I have The Artist's Way. Oh, They're that's a different together. person. Um, they run in similar circles, those yeah. books. I used to have a copy of that, but I don't anymore, and I don't know what happened to it. Yeah. They're in a similar vein, but also very different in yeah. certain ways, too. But no, it's a book I've wanted to read for a long time, and I bought, well, I accidentally bought two copies like a year ago, uh, accidentally, because I thought I was buying one. Uh, and I gave one to roommate Lisa. Love it. And she's almost finished it. Nice. But what chapter one is good. I've read it twice now. Love it. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. But I, I, I like your approach of like choosing to get back into reading, like choosing something you know that is yeah. going to flow for you. Like I finished the first two books in two days. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Um, On the other side of that, though, 
I heard somewhere, and this is a show that's been on my radar for a bit now, but there's, have you heard the show Dirty, Dirty John? I've heard of it. I couldn't tell you anything about it other than the name. So there was a podcast, eventually got turned into a show and it's, they take real true crime stories and then like turn them into a, you know, dramatized show. Okay. Kind of similar to like the Versace thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't shut up about. I heard good things about the first season, but then I heard really good things about the second. So I just jumped to that one. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. It's good. Did I fly through season two? Uh-huh. Yeah. It is about, what was her name? Oh, Betty Broderick. Okay. It was uh, in the 80s. It was a very like well-known divorce case that turned true crime because her husband that was divorcing her was a high-profile lawyer. Uh-huh. He played her dirty in that divorce. Ooh, you hate to see it. And yeah, and it, the way that they lay it out, there's a lot of trials in it, but they don't focus too much on the trials, but it kind of goes back and forth in time. Yeah. Where you get to see like the contemporary trial of an actual crime. Yeah. Uh, where she is on. Yep. Yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler, but I don't want to give too much away either. So I'm, I'm I'm trying to be careful. And then it kind of go, you know, shows the development, their relationship and like, it's just very interesting. It jumps around a lot. It's not chronological, but it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it was really well done. And also the cast is really good. Sometimes chronological doesn't always make sense. Yeah. Yeah. As evidenced by my story today, I kind of jump around a lot. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, it's like Amanda Pete in the main role and she's ooh, okay. amazing. Christian Slater's in it. Also Missy Pyle, who I love. I do love Missy a, Pyle. I know. Underrated. Hey, yeah. And she does, she plays a friend of the main character and just, it's great. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. And it's interesting. And now I have like read a lot online about that actual case too, because I couldn't stop after the show. I was like, okay, now I need to see what was actually happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, compare it. And right, right, right. They did a great job. It's on Netflix. In a similar vein, I saw that the Tammy Faye movie with Andrew Garfield yes. and Jessica Chastain came out. I think it's on Prime now yes, already. Yeah. I did see that the other day. I haven't watched it yet, I've but wa- I did yeah, see it. I was still thinking, I was like, I saw it, put it in my list. I'm like, I'll have to watch this later. Yeah. I actually so I thought of you because we had talked about it. Did before. we watch The Eyes of Tammy Faye together? No. We hey, talked so, about maybe I watched, the documentary. I think I watched it. Yeah. I, okay. Are we, I either watched that. I definitely watched part. I definitely watched Party Monster. Okay. I don't can't remember if I watched it through the eyes of Tammy Faye though. Okay. We've discussed both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Not I don't think actually on here, but yeah. In real life. Yeah. Because we are real life friends. We are. <laughs> and real life movie lovers. Yes. We do watch them sometimes. They're just talking about them. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we watch and talk about them as evidenced by the Scream episode. Yeah. And we're going to do that again. Yes. Yes. You know, it's easy to have big plans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do what we can. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I do have a story for you. I'm very excited because I know you're very excited. About I'm very this. excited. I have no idea what it is. It's but... going to be a two parter. So buckle the fuck up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's a road trip. So buckle up again. Double buckle. Double buckle. Double buckle. Name of the episode. Yes. Double buckle. Right there. And I know you've heard of this. Oh, and okay. this is actually even a callback to when oh. we first met each other. Oh. Any guesses? Road trip. Callback to that first sketch show. Is it something to do with Kellogg? It is. It's okay. Kellogg. Fantastic. Yes. Because I got a book and went deep and like. I'm sure so... there's some shit. Oh, my God, girl. You are not ready for this. Okay. So let's get into it. Let's get to Battle Creek. Yes. Well, we're actually going to start off in Tyrone Township in Livingston County. Okay. That's where he was born. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Harvey Kellogg. We're specifically talking about John Harvey Kellogg right now. He's not the one who founded the cereal company, but he did have a role in it, which we will get to. That's actually part two. So stick around. John Harvey Kellogg, born February 26, 1852 in Tyrone Township in Livingston County. Mm -hmm. One of 17 children. No. 17 children. No, no, no. His father, well, like, what, what had happened was his father had five children from his first marriage. Then she died. Okay. And uh, he's, you just didn't raise children alone back in those days. So you have to find a wife. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like, so he ended up marrying their nanny. 
Ow. Like he got a nanny to help. And he's like, all right. He basically, he's like hitched up his wagon. And he's like, I'm going to go find you a mother. And came back. He's like, call her mom now. Yikes. And then had 12 more children with her. Wow. And so John Harvey was the first of the second batch of kids. Okay. So he was like sixth overall out of 12. Or okay. nope, out of 17. Okay. Yeah. And his parents actually helped found the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm not surprised with that many children. Yeah. Do you know much about the Seventh-day Adventists? I'm going to deep dive into them, but do you know anything? I mean. Other than they're churchy. I'm trying to figure out how to wear this. Churchy, but like also like very um, devout. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. We'll get into it. Because it, like, I didn't know they were founded in Battle Creek, the Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, I had no idea. So it is a branch of the Protestant church. And it came out of yeah. the Millerite movement, which I had to look up with that one. Actually, the yeah, book I have no idea. It. So the Millerite movement was started by a Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller. Mm -hmm. He proclaimed that Jesus was to return to earth on October 22nd, 1844. Okay. Obviously didn't happen because we're all still here. Mm -hmm. But when the great rapture didn't occur, uh, the day became known as the great disappointment. <laughs> and most of his followers left. <laughs> I mean, okay. To be fair, like. I guess when you're expecting Jesus, though, and. Right. When you promise Jesus and you get nothing, mm -hmm. it's a disappointment, I guess. I yeah. Yeah. So most of his followers are like, gotta go by. Peace. But not self-proclaimed prophet Ellen White. Okay. She, she believed that Miller had the right date, but wrong idea of what was supposed to happen. She's like, it's not really like a judgment day, but like a pre-judgment day. Okay. The end's still coming. That was just the pre-judgment. Mm. I don't know what that means, but like, is it like pre-boarding or like, you know. Pre-check. Yeah, pre-check. Like a like a pre-President's Day sale. Like, neither really matter, but like, <laughs> this one's coming before the thing. Yeah. Either way. Just a way to spin something. Yeah. So, also, John Harvey parents were like, kind of counting on the whole world ending things. They weren't like doing things like educating their 17 children. They were like. The world's ending. Why teach them how to read? You know? Yeah. So 17 kids, not really teaching them. Just kind of, just you know. let them run around and feed them occasionally. Right. Yeah. The Kellogg's, though, they were like, well, you need this whole world ending thing to happen. This lady seems to be doing stuff. This Ellen White lady. Mm -hmm. And so they, like, pledged a not small amount of money. So they pledged a chunk of money to get the Whites to move to Battle Creek. Okay. And it worked. So the Whites, Ellen and James, Ellen being the prophetess moved to Battle Creek in 1854 with the Kellogg family joining them there in 1856. Okay. And there they formed the seventh day Adventist church on May 21st, 1863. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. A large focus of their ministry was of course focused on the second coming because that's how they got started, mm -hmm. but also focused on healthy living, which kind of like, as I was thinking about that and like, Okay, you think the world's ending, so you're not going to teach your children, but you're also like, health is important. It's like, if the world's ending, who cares, you know? Yeah. But they were well, like... Well, but I wonder if that has to do with like... You want to be healthy when you get into heaven. Kind yeah. Of, that's probably it, actually, yeah. But I guess you don't need to know how to Prepare read. Prepare for that journey. Right. So, getting back to John Harvey's childhood. Yeah. He was a sickly kid and kind of the runt of the family. Mm -hmm. He had tuberculosis as a kid, which took out one of his lungs. Uh, he also Ooh. had digestive issues, including colitis. Oh, this is all rough. Yeah. And because of this, his dad was kind of like, he's kind of a lost cause. We're not, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. He's like, got to go. Mm. And his mom was like, come here. I'll coddle you, sickly boy. Okay. So he kind of became the mother's favorite. Okay. Which it kind of sounds like they weren't great parents anyway. I mean, they weren't teaching their kids how to read. And they kind of like got the vibe that the dad was kind of just like there. Yeah. And then the mom was kind of like had her favorite and everyone else was just kind of there. Okay. Hmm. So, yeah. But John Harvey did actually get two whole years of formal education between the ages of nine and 11 in Battle Creek before he left school to go work in his dad's broom factory. Mm -hmm. During his downtime here, he managed to teach himself how to read. And it turns out he was actually smart. They hmm. think they described him as whip smart. Even. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So once he learned how to read, and they're like, oh, he's actually smart. He can do things. Ellen White, who is going by Mother White these days. 
Okay. Yeah. So Mother White was like, come here, boy. Come work for me. So he started off as an errand boy, but quickly climbed to becoming her proofreader and editor oh. of like her pamphlets and literature for the mm-hmm. Seventh-day Adventist church. So reader number one. Yeah. So like he got like very well versed in Mother White's theories and beliefs, especially those surrounding mm-hmm. health. He did that for a while, but John Harvey was like, I want to be a teacher. So he went and did that in 1868, where at the age of 16, he started teaching in Hastings, Michigan. Okay. Mind you, this guy has had two years of formal education and taught himself how to read. Now he's teaching others. So, I mean, back that, maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, good. I, I hmm. This you is know? a thinker for me for a second because I'm like, he did teach himself to read. So clearly, like, he has some teaching ability, but also, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't Interesting. know. Interesting. But so he started, like I said, started teaching at the age of 16 in Hastings, Michigan. Mm -hmm. He taught 40 students there while finishing his own studies. After teaching for four years, he decided, maybe I'll go take a teacher's training course. I've only been doing it for four years. Let's go get, let's go get actually certified in this. Professional development, I guess. Yeah. So he went to the Michigan State Normal School. Okay. Or as we know it today, Eastern Michigan University. Oh, Okay. And he graduated in 1872 and was promptly asked by the whites to become a doctor instead. Remember all that work you just did? Um, Can you do more but different work? Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Yeah. And so why they did this is because the whites wanted to open a wellness institute because Mother White had had a vision about it, which... Naturally. These visions, historians think, were probably more likely epileptic seizures. Oh. Yeah. And they didn't want to have to bring in an outside doctor with their own opinions. Well, no. Right. They wanted someone who already knew their beliefs to become a doctor instead. Of course. So the Whites paid for John Harvey, his brother Merritt, and two of the White sons went to a six-month medical course in New Jersey at, get this name, Russell Trolls Hygiotherapeutic College. Um. I don't Russell Trolls Hygiotherapeutic College. And I'm also hung up on the six months. Yeah. Uh, being this training. Yeah. So like they specialize in hydrotherapy as well as dietary therapies, hygiene, exercise, and abandoning modern medicine for alternative approaches. Okay. Great. Yeah. Love that. Mm-hmm. So John Harvey crushed it and mm-hmm. decided to go on to actual medical school and study medicine at U of M and NYU. So we actually went to like some legit okay. places for medical. Yeah. But it was also like the late 1800s. So what is legit in the medical field then? Chopping off legs and throwing leeches at people. Yeah. But in 1875, he got his medical degree. And a year later, at the age of 24, he became head of what was known then as the Western Health Reform Institute. Okay. What a fun name, right? Yes. Uh, The we. Yes. Uh, One of his first acts was to change the name. Okay. Because he didn't want the word reform anywhere near the name because people didn't want to be reformed. Oh. Who's like, I want to go to this place and get reformed. No. Like, if you're opening a health institute, that's a weird name for it. I agree. Yeah. He's not wrong. Not wrong, but like. What did he change it to, though? Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. So. He made up his own word. Oh. He took an existing word and changed an O to an A. So he took the word sanatorium, which mm-hmm. he thought had too many negative connotations since they like mostly served the chronically ill and were like kind of hospicey, like you went there to die, kind of. Yeah. To sanitarium. And oh. everybody heard that was like sanitarium? What? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So he was like, this isn't a sanatorium. It's a sanitarium. Mm -hmm. He said it was a place where people came to recover and learn how to stay well. Hmm. So the facility became known as the Battle Creek Sanitarium, affectionately nicknamed the San. Okay. And it was successful, attracting celebrities and high profile people. And it was praised and condemned for its practices, of which we'll get to later. (laughs) Okay. So... The Whites had founded the Institute, obviously, and the founding principles were from one of Mother White's prophecies. Mm -hmm. She said that God had come to her and told her the importance of, quote, a life in harmony with dietary and lifestyle principles designed to help one stay well and prevent disease. Mm -hmm. 
fine. She then issued her health reform doctrine of which the Institute was based on. There were three main focuses, hygiene, diet, and chastity. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whites, like I said, opened and operated the facility before John Harvey took over and it was not successful then. Mm-hmm. And the, the early customers were mainly Seventh-day Adventist people who were like, all right, it's from the church. Let's go check it out. Mm-hmm. But none were repeat customers because they're, the Institute uh, was boot nasty. Oh. Gross. <laughs> it was like a converted house. And I wrote, it basically seemed like the least fun water park. So the sanatorium wasn't very sanitary. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't a sanitarium yet. It was still like the reform Institute. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So least fun water park. All the treatments were water-based and the water came from the Kalamazoo River from a windmill pumping it into the building. Mm-hmm. So on days with low wind or if the river was low because of like a drought or whatever, they had to conserve water and often made patients share bath water because <gasps> hygiene. Oh, Because no. hygiene. And also like their patients. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? That's not a, that's just not, no, no, no. Grody. Or the very technical term of boot nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Institute was struggling hard and the whites were like, John Sr., so John's dad. Mm-hmm. please help. And John Sr. was like, okay, but my son John Harvey gets to run the place. And they oh, were like, okay. mm, not thrilled about this because like, while we did pay for all of John Harvey's schooling and wanted him to work there, they also sent their two sons to the New Jersey Water College of <laughs> Dramatic Tricks. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to keep it in the family, but they were like, well, our family's not doing real great with this thing right now, so... I guess we'll give it a try. Right. So they were like, fine, John Harvey can be in charge of it. And then John Harvey was like, well, I have my own stipulations. And he's like, I want free reign and no interference from the church, to which the whites were like, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. So within a few years, John Harvey took the Institute and grew it from treating about 20 patients in a two-story converted home to treating seven to 10,000 from a city within a city. Like that, oh, wow. that was like, like more than a couple of years, but like, yeah. Basically, from when, he, when he took over to like its peak. Okay. Some notable people that were treated there were like the Rockefellers, the Fords, Tom Edison, Amelia Earhart, Wayne Wheeler, who we're going to take a quick side journey on because of this piece of shit. Okay. Um, this is quite the list, though. Right? They literally kind of just became like the well, the place for the well to do to go at like the turn of the century. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So Wayne Wheeler. He was an attorney and the leader of the anti-saloon movement and just loved prohibition. Oh, great. Yep. He went even as far as to propose the poisoning of industrial alcohol so the people dared to consume alcohol despite prohibition, they would die. Wow. We and, didn't treat people like, just, no. Yep. He thought the government had no obligation to protect the lives of those who broke the law and drank industrial alcohol. Okay. They actually did this, and about 10,000 people died because of it, and he was held partially (gasps) responsible. Wow. Yeah. To avoid this, he retired from government. Okay. And went to spend some time at his summer home in Little Point, Sable, Michigan, with his wife and her father. Okay. He hoped to find peace, but Connor was like, oh, no, bitch, not on my watch. (laughs) So the wife burned to death in a kitchen fire. (gasps) Oh. Her father died trying to save her. He had a heart attack while trying to save his daughter who was burning to death in the kitchen. Oh, wow. And this is when Wheeler was like, I'm going to go to the sand. So he went to the sand and during his recuperation, because obviously that's dramatic. Mm -hmm. During his recuperation, he asked a nurse to hand him a book. And as he sat up to reach for it, his heart gave out and he died at the age of 57. Wow. Yeah. For reaching for a book? Yeah. So... Karma was swift with that one. Yeah. Rightfully so. Like being like, let's poison this shit. Yeah, no, that's so gross. Yeah. So that's quite the like laundry list of patients. But what exactly were they being treated for at the sand? I have been curious about that. So they were being treated for what they were calling auto intoxication a made-up disease that was basically all the rage at the turn of the century and was like an umbrella term to kind of explain everything from anxiety and depression to digestive issues and epilepsy. So basically when 
they didn't know what to call something. It autoimmune was... or auto intoxication. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like the reason behind this was that uh, toxins in the gut caused by poor eating habits were poisoning the body and causing all the things they said auto intoxication caused, which is basically everything. Mm-hmm. So instead of treating these very different ailments individually, they're like, nope, it's auto intoxication and let's treat them all with these catch all diagnostics. <laughs> We're going to start getting into some of John Harvey's ideas of how to treat this stuff. And some of his ideas weren't actually that bad. And he based some of his treatments on the Seventh-day Adventist principles combined with science. Mm-hmm. Uh, he promoted what he called biologic living, which included things like regular exercise, massage therapy, spirituality, fresh air, avoiding stressors, sleep, and of course, lots of water. Sure. Yeah. Those that are all good. great things. Yeah. Things to avoid to live a biologic lifestyle, though, included meat, sugar, caffeine, drugs, tobacco, alcohol, sex, and masturbation. Okay, minus the the last two. The other things Fair. aren't yeah. bad, yeah. but or, or aren't bad uh, advice. But yeah, the last two, fuck off. He was very against masturbation, which at times he referred to as self pollution or even self abuse. Oh God. Yep. He also said that people living the biologic life could expect to poop four to five times a day, which was tracked by the Sam when you were staying there. You had to keep track of your poop. I mean, that's kind of still common medical. Oh, yeah. To a certain, if, you know, for if you're having things. something like that needs that, because like I, yeah. when I worked in the hospital, there were times where like you needed to collect stool samples yeah. or, you know, that kind of ugh. don't miss that part of the job at all. I'm sure. But it is still done today. But. Not everyone in the hospitals, you know, to keep in track. It's just kind yeah, of like the no, ones who are like a need basis kind of deal. Yeah. So John Harvey had many tricks and treatments to help people start living the biologic lifestyle, but his favorite by far was any guesses? Um his favorite? Yeah. This was by far eating paper. I don't know. You're not far off enemas. He loved oh, enema. Oh, just loved okay. an enema. I wrote, for someone who didn't have sex, because it was rumored that John Harvey died a virgin, not even consummating his own marriage, but more details on that later. Okay. He sure loved putting things up people's butts. <laughs> he invented a machine that could get almost four gallons of water into the colon in under a minute. That sounds like a lot. That is a lot of water. Um, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So, like, get your nice, you know, four gallons of water up your ass. And then you could expect a yogurt enema. What? Yeah. So, he made patients eat a pint of yogurt a day and then put the other pint up their ass for probiotics. Um, He's like, here's how you can get some good flora and flana back in your squeaky clean colon. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I know that as, like, a tip for women... Shove up your ass? Uh, no, not your ass. Oh. But for yeast infections, there is a number yeah. of websites that, you know, for for the flora and, fa- flora and fauna, yeah. basically, same exact yeah. thing. I've never heard of... Recreational yogurt assing? Yogurting? Yogurt assing. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of it in the ass. That was actually the original intention of gogurt. Oh, that I'm makes kidding. sense why it's too, yeah. a tube? Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh... Uh, no, Especially because it was like commercials would be very different. Yeah. And so does the name Gogurt. The Gogurt takes a very different meaning. You <laughs> I got mean, a Gogurt. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to go gird up your ass. I'm just thinking about how a lot of people freeze Gogurt and now I can't unthink about. Right. The application in an ass would have to be for. I don't know. Right. I wrote, this is, I guess, early probiotics, but it's a little like drinking from a fire hose or getting an enema from the fire hose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. So John Harvey was not one to not practice what he preached, and he was said to have given himself five enemas a day. A day? A day. How did he have time for anything else? Uh, with this machine, he could get it all up there in under a minute. I don't know. If it's just... But I feel like... Wouldn't he just be shitting his brains out the rest of the day then? I mean, since it's liquid, it can all come out pretty quickly. Okay. But also, like, when you put that much up in there, it, like, doesn't all, like, come out right away. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you'd, I, ha- you'd have, it'd be messy. I wonder messy. if he, like, had to wear it depends just for, like, leakage. I was just about to say, yeah. did he wear a diaper? I mean, 
something. He had to do something, I'm guessing. Yeah. So apart from the enemas, they did have some actual like traditional spa and resort type treatments. Oh. As well as like outdoor sports, massages, health lectures, cooking demos, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But there were some other odd treatments at oh. the sand besides the enemas. Okay. There was something called the electric light bath, which was like a wooden cabinet lined with electric bulbs. And this was used to treat treat depression and insomnia, especially in the long winter months of Michigan. So, so light kind of, therapy. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of, I don't know if you want to say pioneered that, but he kind of Thought made about an early it. version of it. Yeah. Uh, electrotherapy, mm-hmm. which yeah. uh, any guesses what he was treating with electrotherapy? Wasn't mental. It wasn't mental? No. Oh, I thought I was going to be like um, sexual urges or something. No, this woman's weird. I'll, Okay, just, yeah, just Obesity. Oh. He made a contraption out of an old telephone and would deliver mild shocks to patient's skin and attempt to burn the fat cells underneath. Oh, he thought it was like melting or something. Yeah. Probably. But the fact he used an Mm. old telephone to make this device. No. No. Also, just a wide variety of baths. There was hot baths, cold baths, mud baths, electric bath, clay bath, salt bath, and even baths that went for multiple days. Yeah. How pruney. Yeah. Now that we've talked about some of the treatments, let's talk about diet because dietary was another focus. Okay. Like I mentioned earlier, the biologic lifestyle, no meat. So like the menu was mostly vegan and entirely vegetarian, which was like kind of like unheard of at the time. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think meat was really considered bad. No. And you know what I mean? Like there wasn't really a a movement, at least in Michigan. It probably wasn't as easily accessible back then, but like... Yeah, Yeah. but that's interesting. Yeah, it's like vegan, vegetarian, and easily digestible. Okay. And because of this, John Harvey did develop his own food, like meat replacements. He like made some meat replacements out Mm -hmm. of nuts. He loved nuts. He's like, this is like nuts are going to save humanity kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made a soy milk. I don't know if it's like soy milk we use, but he made a version of soy milk. Interesting. Uh, Process for making peanut butter. And of course, the cereal, but we'll get there. That's been coming in part two. Sorry to tease you with that, listeners. But now that the cereal is coming. Also, he pushed the practice called Fletcherizing, which I don't know if you've heard of. No. Fletcherizing was the practice of chewing a bite no less than 40 times. Every bite of food, 40 times, at least. The logic behind it being that like, by chewing it that much, it becomes partially digested and thus eases the workload on the rest of the, the digestive tract. <laughs> Which, like, I mean, it's like... You should chew your food, yes. Right. But it's not digest... Like, it... It's like a lot of work for not that much help or yeah. payoff, you know? like just 40's ch- excessive. Yeah. So, I guess they even had a song at the Institute of Before Meals they would sing to stress the importance of chewing. <laughs> Which is just kind of funny. Oh, I w- if anybody knows that song, please. Please write him. <laughs> so, like I said, like they didn't want anything too flavorful. Like they mm-hmm. nothing was like that. Like everything was kind of like bland on purpose. Okay. And this was like another part of the Seventh Day Adventist slash the Sands belief. Like foods that were considered aphrodisiacs or like too flavorful might stimulate sexual urges. They might like you kind of feel mm-hmm. some type of way. Mm-hmm. So they're like if we eat bland food, we can curb those. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. Like, don't touch yourself. Have a cornflake, you know? Mm-hmm. That was the logic. <laughs> uh, it was kind of the same line of reasoning uh, that Graham used when inventing the Graham cracker. And they kind of like, he, uh, Kellogg kind of based some of his theories and works off of Graham's work. Okay. So what happens when, you know, the enemas don't work or, you know, the bland food diet or, you know, what happens when all, what's the last resort at the sand? They take you to the pasture and shoot you. Close. Surgical intervention, which honestly isn't that much better. Okay. So one such surgery they did was to remove part of the intestine with Mm. belief that this would get the digestive tract back in order. He was said to have performed over 22,000 of these surgeries at the stand. Wow. 22,000. For this procedure that I'm guessing he made up himself. Yeah. With logic that he was like, yeah. 
I mean, there's like, I mean, that happens today, but I'm sure in a very different context and situation. And and not as much too, because I feel like like new procedures have to get approved by the FDA. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think the FDA was around back then, obviously. I don't think so. I, it'd be interesting to see when they came around. Yeah. And what what caused the FDA to get created, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Was it the heroin and the children's cough syrup? I don't know. Mm. That was a big thing back then. Mm-hmm. So some more surgeries he liked to perform. If you call them, some call them surgeries, some call them torture. Yeah. The Seventh-day Adventists were very against sex out of procreation mm-hmm. and also masturbation. Like, not even outside of wedlock, just sex for any other reason than making babies. And even that mm-hmm. was, like, not supposed to be enjoyable. Mm, okay. It was kind of just like, this is a very functional activity. Yeah. I do have some quotes from John Harvey on the subject. So, quote, Sex is the sewer drain of a healthy body. End quote. No, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Not at all. It's, it's not a place. It's a... Yeah. Action. And then on the topic of masturbation, which, like, was an even bigger no than sex in his book. Like, he was like, master, like sex bad, masturbation worse. Well, yeah, because you definitely can't make children right. that way. There's no babies coming out of that. Yeah. So here's what he said. You're wasting those babies. Right. Quote. Masturbation is the silent killer of the night. Believing it to cause things like poor digestion, memory loss, impaired vision, heart disease, epilepsy, and insanity. Just to name a few. (laughs) Sir? Yeah. Don't touch yourself. You'll start having seizures. Yeah. And heart disease, and you won't be able to see. Yeah. And you'll go insane. (laughs) Great stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, like I mentioned earlier, it's rumored that John Harvey was a virgin from birth to death, even though he's married for most of his life. Didn't consume, didn't consummate his own marriage. Not even to make babies? No. Wow. And we'll get to that in a little bit, too. Okay. There were some rumors as to w- reasons behind this, and one of them was that he had a nasty butt of mumps as a child that left him impotent, mm. which I'm kind of inclined to believe because for someone to be this anti-sex, of course it's someone who can't have sex. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, this is in the surgical intervention section for a reason. (laughs) So, for men, especially those caught masturbating, he Mm -hmm. suggested trying things like Mm -hmm. tying their hands up or putting a cage around the genitals. Oh, God. Yeah. If this failed to work, he would do things like unanesthetized circumcision. I probably should have put a warning before this section of like, it can be a little graphic if you're squeamish, skip forward. But uh, under size circumcision, the thought being that they would associate the pain down there with the impure thoughts and they would be cured. Not to mention the healing time, which like, you don't want to touch that when it's healing. So that yeah. break alone would break the habit. Uh, if they did not get circumcised, don't worry. He still had one last thing up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a silver suture or two at the end of the foreskin to permanently hold it in place so erections <gasps> could not occur. Oh, my God. Yeah. So even like the slightest one would cause what he called irritation. I'll call it pain. And then, yay, they <laughs> remain pure. That's, wow. Women didn't have it much better. Oh, God. So one of his treatments for women was mm-hmm. to put pure carbolic acid to burn the clitoris no. and permanently damage it. So like it, like basically, oh my yeah. God. Like permanently damage the clitoris yeah. with acid. And in some rare cases, even recommended the surgical removal of the clitoris, which yeah. is known as female circumcision. Yeah. So, yeah. That's those were his surgical disgusting. treatments. And like, this all sounds horrible, but kind of medicine in general this time was horrible. Yeah. Other medical professionals like balked at J- John Harvey's treatments, but it was kind of a well-known fact at the time that the one of the best things you could do for your health was not to seek medical treatment. Oh, because it was so yeah, bad. Yeah, <laughs> because like here's some common treatments at the time. Yeah. You have indigestion, here's some mercury. Pain, take some opium. Yeah. Have a weak heart, weak pulse. Here's some arsenic or strychnine to get that heart going. But at the same time, like, they didn't know that oh, it no. was a terrible idea. Nobody knew these things were bad. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, the classic bloodletting for inflammation. Yeah. You got too much blood in you. 
something you'll never <laughs> hear these days. Well, we're going to get just the bad blood out. Yeah. Just the, you know, we got these leeches that can tell. Yeah. But we're going to break here for part one. Okay. Because I think this is a good stopping point. Yeah. This is this has been disgusting and I can't wait for part two. Absolutely. <laughs> it gets it only gets more bonkers from here. Okay. I can imagine. Yeah. And I know I think I know a little bit past here. Uh-huh. Um just from the uh drunk history. Uh-huh. There's one drunk history about the Kellogg's. Oh, I'll have to watch it. Yeah. I can't remember who's in it, but I know I've seen it. Uh-huh. Because I remember going. Oh, yeah, the Kellogg's or whatever. Yeah. And kind of the inspiration for the story is because I was reading about the strikes at Kellogg. I'm like, that's not even the worst thing they've done. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm excited. We'll, we'll get to part two for next week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, we, we'll have to get there soon. Yeah. That was fantastic and Thank wonderful. You. And I have a two truths and a lie for you, should you feel inclined. Absolutely. Fantastic. It's all about terrible medical procedure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy though? That would. No, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do something a, a little lighter and happier. Okay. Uh, we are gonna celebrate Betty White. Love her. Yeah. Uh. But obviously, there's with her passing. There's been a, a lot of information and a lot of listicles, know. a lot of yeah. clips resurfacing. And of I was course, watching Mental one of her Floss had one. Joan Rivers. Yes. Yeah. So there's plenty more beyond this, but let's have a little fun. Let's get to it. So, number one. She is a Guinness World Record holder. Okay. Number two, she loved a parade. Okay. Number three. That's something we don't have in common. Number three, she originally auditioned for the role of Dorothy. Okay. Number three is a lie. She auditioned for Blanche originally. Damn it. Yes, you are correct. Clearly, you already knew that. Because they were like, be Arthur for Dorothy from step one. Because yeah. B. Arthur didn't even want to do it. And they were like, uh, Rue McClanahan was like, bitch. And she's like, okay. Well, that no. was the exact conversation. Yeah, well, I'm actually going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> so basically, producers first, though, thought she would be good for the role of Blanche because she... She played a similar character on another show, right? Yes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but after her long run is Lusty Sue Ann Nivens on the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's it. Yeah. And they actually thought that Rue McClanahan would be a good Rose because of her sweet, dopey character, Vivian Harmon, on the show Maud. Okay, and Maude was B. Arthur's show. That's how they neutral. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. So Jay Sandwich made the final decision, though, that he was worried about typecasting them. He yeah. didn't want to do that, and so he switched them. I think that's great. And oh, I think it, it, it was a solid move, and yeah. I'm like, happy he had that thought, especially back then. Who, it made like, so much sense, and they yeah. that sh- it was that show was cast so perfectly. It really was. They did the best job of it. Yeah. Going back, though, she was a Guinness World Record holder in 2014, and it was for the title of longest TV career for a female entertainer. Love she had been that. doing it for more than 70 years. Oh, well-deserved, too. Yeah. We love. Uh, she did love a parade. Love that for her. From 1962 to 71, she hosted the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade alongside Bonanza's Lauren Green. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. And in addition to this, she actually helped from 56 to 76 as a commenter for NBC's Tournament Tournament of the Roses Parade. Okay. She was only pulled from it actually because she had a lot of increasing fame from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh-huh. And I don't think they wanted somebody so... Famous. Yeah. yeah. In that. And that it broke, means many. It broke her heart. And she said, Aww. quote, One New Year's Day, I just sat home feeling wretched, watching someone else do my parade. Oh. Yeah. And of course, I have some more facts. Yes. She was born January 17th, 1922 in Oak Park, Illinois. Okay. Her real name was actually Betty. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it was Betty Marion White. It's like short for Elizabeth. Yeah, it wasn't. It was Betty. Uh, she was an only child, which okay. I'm like. Relatable content <laughs> for you. And even she actually couldn't remember the name of her first TV show that she debuted on in 1939. I mean, fair after 70 years. I mean, you kind of remember your first, but after 70 years, I don't blame her. She remembered the circumstances, though. She said, quote, I danced on an experimental TV show, the first on the West Coast in downtown Los Angeles. I wore my high school graduation dress and our Beverly Hills High School student body president, Harry Bennett, and I danced the Merry Widow Waltz. Nice. So she remembered, like, what happened, just not the name of it. Got it. World War II actually derailed her rise in the entertainment world. As it did many people, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So before she was on TV, she was working in theater, radio, and modeling. Okay. But she was gorgeous. So oh, yeah. Not shocked. She had dark hair too, which is surprising because like I've only known her as like the white. Well, as an older as an older yeah. woman. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But during World War II, she shelved her ambitions and she joined the American Women's Voluntary Services. Of course she did, because mm-hmm. she's a queen. And she would deliver supplies on a PX truck through the Hollywood Hills. Nights were spent dancing at parties to send off soldiers before they shipped out. Love that. Perfect. Her first sitcom was in the early 50s, and she co-hosted the A1 Jarvis show called Hollywood on Television. Okay. Which led her to producing her own show. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. Called Life with Elizabeth. And this was developed and produced alongside writer-producer George Tibbles, who went on to work on shows like Dennis the Menace, Leave it to Beaver, Leave it to Beaver and the Munsters. Okay. Not Leave it. Uh, but yeah, so she was like one of the early women producers too, which is like... We stand. Yeah, rad. In 1951, that show actually earned her her first Emmy. Uh-huh. She overall had 21 nominations and would go on to earn or win five Emmys overall. Oh my God. Yeah. And we'll actually talk about the fifth one in a second, but she and her first husband, Dick Barker, were married and divorced in the same year of 1945. Okay. And basically what had happened is after four months, she had moved to Barker's Rural Ohio Chicken Farm. Okay. And she, I think, wanted to go back to her career. Yeah. Because she went back to L.A. and started entertaining again. Yeah. Soon after that, she met agent Lane Allen and the two were married in 1947. Oh. But they would go on and divorce in 1949. Oh, it wasn't the one that she stayed with. Okay. Because he was pushing her to quit show business. And she said. Oh, what a dick. Nah. So she didn't marry again until 1963, uh-huh. and this is when she fell for widower, father of three, and game show host, Alan Ludden. Yes. Their meet cute was on his game show, Password, that he was the host of. Of course. And she was a regular in the game show circuit, and this was a special you know, celebrity episode of that show. Was it the one with Lucille Ball where she like uh, yelled at the host, like, you don't buzz a legend? I love that clip. It. It might be. Okay. I don't, I've seen the clip, but I don't know off the top of my head, but it was in 1961. I can tell you that. Okay. And basically they, they started dating. Initially she declined, declined an engagement ring from him, but he wore it around his neck until she changed her mind. Oh. So the two remained together until he passed in 1981 and they're Hollywood stars on the walk of fame are next to one another. Oh, I know. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. In 2010, a Facebook group was created called Betty White to host SNL dot, 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 please. Because that, that happened, right? Yes. I'm surprised it, it, it took that to make it happen. It gathered nearly a million fans. Lauren Michaels noticed and made it so. Betty was the oldest person to ever host the show at 88 years old. Love and it. she won her fifth Emmy for for that episode. I vaguely remember. I remember it yeah. being a good episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. But ugh, I love that it took it. Facebook, though. Like They didn't think to ask Betty White before then. I guess not. Mm. I don't know. Lauren, what are you doing? I mean, they didn't really go in because like she, she, I mean, she's, she was hilarious. Yeah. She was never considered like comedian, comedian, even though she did a lot of comedy with Slayer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't usually like a, she never like really like stand up or anything. It's like, yeah, I guess. But yeah. I mean, it, it, it was an oversight. Yeah. It was a complete oversight. So I'm glad it finally did happen. Yeah. She was the oldest person in 2014 to earn an Emmy nod for outstanding host on a reality or reality competition program for her senior citizen centric prank show called Betty White's Off Their Rockers at the age of 92. I remember that show. I don't know if you ever saw it. But I was like, I love this. Yeah, for her. I know. Now I want to watch it. Yeah, I kind of remember. But then I, I don't remember actually seeing where to watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she loved junk food. Love that. In 2011, her hot in Cleveland co-star Jane Leaves stated that, quote, she eats red vines, hot dogs, French fries and Diet Coke. Going on to joke that basically the key to longevity must be preservatives. Yes. <laughs> uh, she was also quoted. Betty was quoted once as saying, my answer to anything under the sun, like what have you not done in the business that you've always wanted to do is Robert Redford. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and actually, I have seen a clip of her. Giving that answer. And it's I love it. Uh, she was offered the part of Beverly Conne- Connolly. I think it's Connolly. Connolly. Beverly Connolly, right. which was the on-screen mother to Helen Hunt in the Oscar-winning film As Good As It Gets. Okay. 
but she was horrified by the scene where Jack Nicholson's character pitches a small dog down the trash chute of the building. She said, cut that scene. I don't want it. I don't want people thinking that's a good idea or anything or that it's funny. And instead, they just cast Shirley Knight in the role instead of her. Mm. And I think many know, but she wasn't an actor. She would have been a zookeeper. And whenever she traveled, she tried to visit the local zoo and was also a supporter of farm animal reform movement and friends of animal groups and also an L.A. Los Angeles Zoo board member. Uh-huh. Uh, she, she donated like tens of thousands of dollars through the past several decades. Love it. And in 2010, she founded a T-shirt line with profits going to the Morris Animal Foundation, one of her favorites. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of people have seen it, but there is a thing going around on her birthday, January 17th. Everybody should donate $5 to an animal shelter of some sort in honor of Betty White and in her name. That's a great idea. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, let the, the legacy live on and right. celebrate the legacy. Yeah. Of Betty White. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Betty, we'll miss you. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm sure there's far more. There, she did write a book. Right. You know, you can't encapsulate her no. life in it. Two truths and a lie. No, but Mental Floss did it in 15 facts. So Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that we covered Betty White because legend icon star. Yeah. I mean, how could it, it had to be. Right, right. Done. She's everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that wraps part one. Mm-hmm. We are definitely wrapped. Uh, not like a box of cereal quite yet. Uh, that will be later. Yes. But we are wrapped like a horrible procedure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we are wrapped like your hands if you touch yourself at the SN. Or your penis. Yeah. Your caged penis. Yeah, it's just a little teaser of what's coming in part two for those listening. We're going to get into the breakup between the Seventh-day Adventists and Kellogg. And the chaos that ensued because of that, because it was messy, as most breakups usually are. Excellent. I can't wait. Yeah. Among other things, but that's just like at the top of my notes. I'm like, here's a teaser. Come yeah. back next week. I like it. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you want to follow us on social media at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address of Detroit Strange at gmail.com. And... If you want to support the show, subscribe, rate, review. Those are always lovely. Yes. We love reading a review. You can also head over to Patreon, join us over there. Or there's always our Threadless shop as well. Um, yeah, and if you enjoyed the Scream episode, know that more will be coming to Patreon. So if that's content you're interested in, it'll be on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. But I think... Until next time, stay, stay strange. strange. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Stacks and Violence.